Uh, what's up, buddy? Hi, Sam. I guess uh, we're doing this here Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network this evening. Absolutely. We're hanging out and we're hanging out with some new friends too because, you know, we have a new sponsor, which is very, very oh, exciting. Yeah, that's right. Rational Acoustics. Ladies and gentlemen, Rational Acoustics has uh, proudly sponsored Signal to Noise podcast along with um, RCF and alan and heath and if you're interested in um sponsoring or helping us out in any way you can get a hold of us at the signal to noise podcast link in the ProSound web um browser and i'm sure there's other ways the signal to noise with the number two at gmail uh, get a hold of us ask us questions tell us who we should have as guests um tell us how bad we're doing or if you'd listen to the end of the podcast. Hey, speaking of that, social media has been kind of going nuts on both sides. Discord and Facebook is just going crazy right now with Facebook new members and new mind. conversation. It's, it's been great. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy right now, especially with everybody working. So post your pics, uh, jump on Discord, post all kinds of pics. Tell us what you're doing. Tell us where you're at. Um, make some new friends. Absolutely. You know. And happy festival season to everybody. I know we just kicked hey. off. And so this is a great hey. time to like, I, I think I was, I was somewhere and I posted a picture and like several friends were like, Oh, I'm like right by you. And so don't be, don't be afraid of social media guys. Say hi to one other. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, okay. It has been really great to get to meet a bunch of people. In, in commemorance of festival season, let's go ahead and, and introduce Jess, but I want to hear if, if we had time off to go see a festival, which one would we go see instead of um, the whole uh, arms link thing? Let's do something new. If you were going right, to go see cool. a festival this summer as a person that works in this industry, which one would you go spend money on? Or All not? Right. Or would you call a friend for free tickets? I I would go see the Rock Ams again. Like Rock I got Ring to and Park. Yeah. yeah, I I would go to I would go to Ring. I had the pleasure of doing Ring with Volbeat last year, and that was an absolute blast. Um, that was just so so much fun. Even just sitting in front of house watching a ton of sets. Um, Kyle, what's yours? You know what? I'd go to the shitty Birmingham Furnace Fest because <laughs> there's there's a lot of old crappy hardcore bands that are coming back to do that and. You're really selling it. I know. No, I I love bad metalcore and hardcore and um, whatever. But yeah, that's my genre. Like, I definitely go hang out. If you haven't been to the Sloss Furnace in Birmingham, Alabama, you're missing out. Like, this place is creepy. It's an old furnace that they used to make lead, or I I don't even know what they did there. But there's a couple like drone flyby videos on on YouTube. You should check it out. It's an old furnace, and people have died there. Like, there's big cogs that they got caught in, and all kinds of stuff. But now they do shows. It's kind of like a they built it into an outdoor amphitheater, and they do multiple stages. But yeah, Furnace Fest would be mine. Sick. All right. Well, before Jess answers real quick, joining us tonight is Jess Jacobs, who is an incredibly badass utility tech, monitor tech, monitor engineer, and backline tech, uh, along with playback and about a million other skill sets. 
Um, so for starters, welcome to the show, Josh Jacobs. Thank you. It's good to see y'all. So straight into the fire. What's your, what festival are we going to? Um, off the top of my head. So, well, my, my rule typically is I'm not going to a festival unless I'm being paid to go. Um, so yep. that's kind of that. Um, definitely would try to phone a friend for tickets, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not the first person to do that with any gig really. I don't, I don't like doing that cause I know how much of a pain it is. Uh, but if I had to choose, if it were just, you can go to any festival, um, probably the power trip festival (laughs) because it's, it's like so many, you know, good metal bands. Um, it's on the Coachella grounds, which is not my favorite place to be, but you know, could be worse. And, um, and I think it's run by similar people, power trip. So it's like who it's like Metallica, Iron Maiden. It's a bunch of like classic metal bands that I grew up listening to that I've never seen for whatever reason. And really? then if if you tried to go see like individually, it would cost you so much more money. So even though I'm always like a festival is the worst place to see your favorite band because <laughs> it's just insanity. Holy cow. <laughs> Ozzy's it is, and ACDC. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the lineup it's, now it's and like, Metallica and Tool. And Tool, right. And you get Tool, which is always, like, their shows oh, are always sad. fun. So, He's out with Christopher not a bad right now. Uh, one, of, yep. one, of our, one of our guys that I know from Facebook and known for a long time is out mixing Christopher right now. I'd like to see yep. that show, too. Yeah, yeah, Drew Thornton. Yeah, Drew. Yep. He gets the Drew's best gigs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Super nice guy. So, Love Drew. So where, where are you joining us from? Let's get some background. Where are you at tonight? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles. I've heard of it. Yeah. And this is, this is home base for me. Um, I'll be, what have I done? I've done like a lot of, I don't, I haven't done much U S at all this year. It's all been, uh, Europe and, um, Europe, UK and some Mexico gigs. It's kind of weird. It's like a, a different year. Um, let's start start now and move back. Who who are you out with now? What are you doing? Uh, I'm not out with anybody right now, which is nice. Um, I am production managing uh, La Tigre. They're about to wrap up their Europe and UK run on Friday. And then they'll come back here for a US one. Um, Meantime, let's see, I've got some fly dates coming up next week with uh, with Dea, who I do monitors, playback, um, vocal processing, etc. for. Uh, And then, um, then I'll move to another Missy Elliott gig um doing backline there again so we'll go do we'll go do the whole whole little show again uh down at essence fest in new orleans so, so let's, let's, jess let's, and i oh, happen sorry. to be hanging out at friends and lovers in vegas a couple weeks yeah. ago had no idea um, that, that we were both there but then <laughs> yeah i didn't i i didn't realize we were up there and i was monitor checking for i think it was with miguel and I just kind of looked up across the stage and I see some blonde hair on a riser and I just kind of walk <laughs> over that way. And I go, I just walk up to Jess. And I just go, are you Jacobs? <laughs> I think I've DM'd you <laughs> or something like that in my mm-hmm. incredibly smooth, awkward as hell way. Um, <laughs> I was like, are you, are you who I think you are? Sick, really nice to meet you. And uh, so I just decided we were friends right there and uh, yeah. suckered Jess into coming to hang out with us. Yeah, um, it, but was, it was pretty great. 
<laughs> and I was good. I was there because I was working on uh, Missy Elliott played there. Yeah, how good yeah. are the Missy Elliott songs that Timberland produced? Like those are absolute fucking bangers. Oh yeah. Like I, yep. I've talked about this last two weeks, and I think I even talked about it on the podcast. Like the Timberland tracks from Missy Elliott during that whole time of super duper flying shit are just bangers. And and you're running playback oh, yeah. for that. No, I'm doing backline tech for that. So um, keys and and DJ. So I set up like six keyboards and a bunch of stands and and stuff like that. And then uh, dust them off, make sure everything's working properly. Look for dead keys, you know, that that kind of thing. Set up the DJ station. Um, they have kind of an interesting approach. So it's a little bit more than just plug and play. It's not it's not like a DJ over top of things. It's more like um, incorporating stuff from playback, which it's interesting. Uh, I was skeptical at first and slightly concerned because <laughs> it's like, we're going to run the show through um, a rain one. Okay. It worked though. So how cool. many, how it's many people cool. on stage? Uh, let's see. I mean, a lot. Um, a lot. The band, the band is three and then the DJ and then uh, Missy. She also has a, an MC um, that's there with her and then a shit ton of dancers um awesome. had to be at least 25 30 something you know they're, they're kind of like moving in batches so it's it's hard to get a full head count but yeah there's a lot of people on stage there's and it's really cool like it was it was impressive i enjoyed it that's right, her signature so, i love it for sure yeah. more so, dancers so that's yeah for real um so let's back up 30 seconds Mm-hmm. You have a huge variety of skill sets, and as much as I joke about just running up to you on stage <laughs> super awkwardly, um, I have followed your work for a few years, and you have done such a wide variety of things from, like we've talked about, from you know PM, front of house, monitors, playback, all those sort of things. I know you went to Harvard, but how did you get from Harvard to Missy Elliott? Like, what's how did you get into this, and how have you started developing this plethora of skills? Sure. So, um, to be clear, um, I did, I did not go, uh, like I did not graduate, um, from Harvard. Sure. I didn't graduate from anywhere. Uh, I went to, I started like backing way up. I started messing around with this stuff when I was a kid. Um, my dad's best friend, uh, I was fortunate enough to know him. He had a studio where I got a hold of like my first Kurzweil, um, like K2000 as a eight-year-old I mean or something right like played my first wah pedal to like bulls on parade like when I'm 10 like shit like that so I learned a lot about recording I learned a lot about MIDI going back to like digital performer which I know some people still use um but I find that interesting um you know just learning that technology early and then growing into making my own music being a broke-ass kid in New Hampshire not having any money to go to a recording studio and wanting to record you know my music and the music I was making with other bands and stuff like that so I grew into it that way um I went to NYU for a year at their music technology program um I'm I'm told it's grown and changed I mean this was 2001 so it was pretty like early um in terms of the giant evolution I think we've come leaps and bounds in the last 20 years so it's you know it was still pretty early still pretty basic MIDI pro tool stuff going on Ableton wasn't out yet um I learned a lot there I've had I had a year of like hardcore electronics which was such like a foundation I didn't even realize it at the time that really set me up um for success in a lot of ways like 
being thrown a distro, you know, as a monitor engineer didn't phase me because I had that, but huh, phase. Um, <laughs> Good one. <laughs> um, yeah, I was able to handle it because of that. Um, so I think kind of having a, a diverse approach where I've gained a lot of skills on my own. I've had some formal training, you know, I've taken, I've taken classes at Berkeley. I've taken classes at Harvard. Um, mostly just gathering knowledge. You know, I'm not a credentialed person. Um, I've done some training with, uh, with electronic creatives as well. Um, you know, shop talked with Laura for a long time before that even, and just picked it up along the way. Um, I started using Ableton live back in 2006, maybe five, like early, um, because it was something that the, you know, performance that I was trying to craft at the time with my bandmate needed. So it's all kind of come as a necessity from being a musician and then just flipped into um, a career once I started to focus on it and decide that I wanted to get out of the local, you know, busted Mackie mixer, maybe one working wedge and two busted SM58s world. <laughs> from there, it's just been, you know, learning about things and challenging myself really. What's your favorite so far? Like if you had to choose and you're like, okay, I'm picking up an artist and I'm going to be with them for five years. What, what job or what role would you feel the best? And you don't have to say um, audio. I think, uh, no, I would say audio. Um, I don't want to be someone's TM for five years. That just sounds exhausting. <laughs> uh, I'm, ha I'm happy to help out, you know, like a lot of the artists that I've worked with as a, as a TM, as a PM. I'm I'm always happy to be a team player, but it's it's a lot of work, you know, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of unseen work. So be nice to your tour manager, be nice to your production manager. They're working, they're not getting sleep. <laughs> yeah, they're they're working Never. when you're sleeping. Um, they're working before you start working and after you start working. So yeah. Um I would choose I think I would choose playback. I like the niche that I've fallen into in the last few years, um, where it's been playback focused, but ambitious playback. So integrating other synths, you know, not just doing playback, like space bar, as people like to say, but doing intelligent things with it, like issuing patch changes to everything that's on stage, um, mm -hmm. accepting input that can, you know, turn something on, turn something off. Um, just making it, it so intelligent. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Super and, cool. And Super cool. So it's almost like a, um, an MD position, you know, cause Without playing an instrument, you're yeah. kind of MDing the show. Oh, and, and on that note, I just got done tour managing for three weeks, and I was itching to do sound so bad. I ended up jumping on monitors a couple times, like they're on ears. So it, it's like it's the same thing every night. But I was pretending that I was over there doing something helpful. Um, yeah, yeah, be nice to your TMs. Um, yes. Playback mm -hmm. is like a you're almost the MD because I'm sure you have to cut and start and stop songs that are going to flow with the set. And Ableton wizards are, you need them nowadays. Pretty much all yep. genres of music is using some oh, kind yeah. of playback and that's where it's coming from. So I uh, mean, Holy cow. I, yep. I did a tour last year and I, I think that show while everything was played live, Every patch change, every, you know, click, every fire, every little detail, everything that's not on stage, everything that yep. you just don't even think about was 
playback and we had a modern engineer double as the playback guy and it that's hard a, that's hard that's as his tech the deal we made was i learned how to mix the show in case playback went down i could mix monitors there and i i had never thought about it like that until i mm-hmm. got to like i thankfully that it didn't it didn't go down but it it was really crazy to me to see i had never seen a ra- i mean we had like long haul midi converters in every rack and was running some mm-hmm. stuff which is apparently totally common but i hadn't spent any time on that end of the snake recently mm-hmm. i spend most of my life as an se and i'll just monitor tech a handful of gigs to do something else a couple times a year yep playback is so underrated oh my gosh my brain (laughs) hurt and like ableton does things i didn't know a dog could do for a live show because it's ableton yeah a lot of cats still run pro tools and there's nothing wrong with it but it's like it's not really going to handle a lot of the the more intricate and more sophisticated midi um and just in terms of routing things you know like really controlling a whole show and automating things away from people so that they can have a better experience. You know, you don't want to be a guitar player playing an arena and like you're, you're down there fumbling with your foot. So like, no, fuck that. Like put that into a MIDI change. Put that into a patch change thing. Yeah. It's easy. I mean, you can even automate the monitor console to flip between scenes. Yeah. yeah it becomes a discussion of like point of failure at that point, but like you can no, basically do anything with it. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's talk about some of your favorite things that playback does that people don't realize playback does. Like what, mm. what do you do most commonly as a playback tech? Cause in my mind, right. What little I know about playback is I hear playback. I think tracks, I think start, stop, fire. And I know it's like 17 million times more integrated and complicated than that, <laughs> especially with all of the MIDI programming and the way you can write things in and the way that you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've got a background in electronics and a knowledge of coding, you can you can make this stuff do almost whatever you want. But will you talk us through some of your favorite things that you use most commonly and just what's the shit that this stuff does that nobody understands about your job? Yeah, I can. Um one of my favorite rigs, uh, I've worked on any like varying levels of rigs, right? So something that's dead simple, it's just 10 tracks out of a PA-12 and interface and failover AB computer. Cool. Maybe there's, you know, click and maybe a couple of cues, something like that. Anything from that all the way up to like highly sophisticated, highly tracked, um, you know, exactly moment to moment movements, you know, being spoken as cues to artists, different artists even, right? So the dr- the drummer or the band is hearing something different than the primary um, artist. Um, dancers might be hearing different cues than anybody, right? So you're kind of like, you're, you're sending things out in multiple directions and making sure that all of that works, working with, you have to be working with an awesome monitor engineer to really make the dream happen or be the monitor engineer yourself, which I've also done. Um, I think the, probably the coolest one though, is for Sylvan SO, um, I built a triple redundant system whereby you had your normal AB system through a um a play audio we didn't need to get fancy with like you know using maddie or or anything like that didn't need to accommodate that many channels um but 
through having that, we also knew that there was the potential, the, the rig had to live on stage for various reasons. So the A and B computer are on stage. The nightmare scenario is you have to run on stage. You don't want to do that, right? Like as a tech, you don't want to do that. That is like, just don't. So I built a network solution whereby we're sending audio um, over, uh, I forget if it was Cat5 or just Copper, to a, a C-Rig computer. And all of these need to talk together so that they're playing at the same time. You need to be able to kill A, kill B, and still have C playing back. Now add into the mix uh, DJ style control. So um, so Nick had control over uh, drums, bass, music, uh, BGV, and then three separate resampling channels. So he's taking in real time from the wireless that Amelia is using vocal samples in certain songs and looping them, manipulating them, changing them. He needs a mouse and screen to be able to do this. So we also have to have a KVM switch that's going up and allowing control of both computers simultaneously. Right. So it's like, and then there's a whole bunch of um, MIDI and like CV that's going out through his whole modular rig. Like it was, there's a lot going on. So you can get very complex with it. Um, You can also be very frequently you're sending at least time code to lights um, and to video. Um, You can also be in a world where you don't have lights and video. So the rig I built for Pussy Riot, um, for example, it was just me and I was at front of house and I was going to run playback and we had some strobes that we were bringing with us and we wanted them programmed because it's very hard to come into a venue, complicated tracks. You want some cues, you know, like, they can throw up a color wash for each song, but they're not going to know like, okay, here comes the drop, you know, hit the strobes. So we wanted to automate that. So that was automated uh, all over uh, DMX. So there's a box called DMXs uh, that unfortunately it's NTech and they stopped making it. And I don't know why, because it's brilliant. Uh, just goes USB and then puts out DMX and you can send it to, it's not like a, you know, sophisticated, like a grandma too or anything, but it gets the job done. You can talk to lights from Ableton, just envelopes. So you set up a MIDI controller and record a a show and then you have it saved in there and boom, set up four lights. You're good to go. Um, And then we also had the, uh, the video computer was networked and I sent uh, RTP MIDI to that to trigger Resolume uh, clips to provide the visuals for each song. So it essentially made us like all self-contained with just one person easy. So it can be doing up to that um, and much more too. You know, um, a lot of people still use main stage to manage their key patches. Um, I remember, I remember seeing um, Nine Inch Nails and I went backstage and there's like eight dudes on laptops. Yeah, yeah, they were oh, they yeah. were the first people to do main stage. They basically developed it, which <laughs> I couldn't believe it when it's I true. saw it. All main stage, yeah. no there's like, outside. It was cool. Yeah, and and there's like there's eight people on laptops, um, just hanging out behind the video wall so that no one can see them, right? But they're there, and that's powering, you know, Trent's rig, Robin's rig, um, Alessandro's rig. Like, just everything is crazy. There's so much shit going on, and that ultimately usually all folds up into the playback session because you need like one central brain to control everything. And it might get 
you know, sent out in messages to other computers for processing power reasons. Um, and, you know, over cat five, things are basically instantaneous. Um, so it's, it can get like quite complex, but that's the I, fun I, of it. It just I, means I, you have a lot of stuff you have to check. <laughs> I've, I've heard a lot of people who do playback talk about M1 and M2 chips. Like what kind of machines are you, do you like mm. using? Um, I stayed away from the M1 and M2 uh, for as long as I could because there were just rumors among the community, you know, of playback people that it's like, oh, this weird shit happened. But it, you can't always blame it on the chip. Uh, they do. There is an interesting thing that they do where so. In in live, you would um, you would typically put the buffer size. Uh, you would set it to be the largest, twenty forty eight, or in some cases more. Um, you would set it to be twenty forty eight because you wanted to provide as much like scratch space for everything to function, and there's no audio coming in usually, um, so you don't it, need to worry about that. The latency, I mean, um, the M one chips they they do this like intelligent um power saving and processor saving like temperature control all this kind of stuff like it's all baked into it so if you have a buffer and you're not utilizing it like you want to run your computer cool it actually will start powering down um processing power essentially in order to save on like cooling and fan speed and all this other shit so you have to now do the opposite you have to set the buffer super low so that you're constantly like, Hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> so that's the biggest difference between the, the Intel's and the, um, the M1 and M2. Well, are, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Are, are a lot of people still <laughs> touring with older rigs and towers still? Yes. Uh, towers. I don't see too, too much towers. You'll find maybe, maybe in like, really big arena rigs like maybe a cold play or something like that um where they're going to have multiple towers they're going to have like a an effective raid set up you know it's more about um memory and disk space at that point uh you don't really need it it just depends on what you're doing if you're doing like if you're doing a ton of vocal processing you need all the gas you can get um any live audio input that's coming in essentially that's kind of that's where things start to get more dodgy. I mean, that's when you would see that. Uh, most people, I see a lot of people still running, even 2015s, they were really popular for a while because there was another jump between 2015 and 2018. I got a right here. Yeah, yeah that's right. what my last one was. <laughs> because of the ports, right? So you yeah. didn't have to have a million dongles because then yep. that creates its own issue in bottlenecks. Um, so it's like, it's all just trying to work around Apple and whatever the fuck they want to do, honestly. (laughs) I mean, but that's such a good point because like even tuning PAs, right? The thing you don't think about is, oh, what's your point of failure? Oh, okay. So when I'm tuning a PA, my whole generator, I'm putting all of this, all of my data. Uh, that's cool. I'm just going to drive this million dollar PA system with my $20 USB-C adapter. Thanks very much, Best Buy. Like, it, which mm-hmm. is why I have a separate computer full of $30 ports. dongos. $30 dongos. But that, that's like my biggest fear too, is like, ah, oh, yes, let me connect to all of this. Um, now I have another laptop. That's my 
super overkill laptop as we all joke i bought a gaming pc uh for production That's the way software to go. yeah I, yeah. I, I i bought a game i bought a gaming pc because it's got all the ports and it just like any prediction yep. software it just smokes it uh it takes like two seconds to predict it's great um but yeah i i'm so glad you brought up the dongle thing it's like my one irrational fear that i now it's, feel slightly more validated for <laughs> you should i have an entire you can't see it but it's behind me my i have this orange pelican that i bring with me Basically, the whole thing, besides an eight-channel quarter to XLR snake and an oh shit uh, like situation, basically the whole thing is just dongles and spare cables because there are like thirty generations of USB and Thunderbolt and all this bullshit. Like, no. I don't need to be bringing all that. I could have some other stuff that would be much better. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, I'm carrying around this stack of cables. It's like this yeah, big. Yeah, I have the it's same stupid. thing in a little green bag. Mine is the snake. <laughs> The, yeah. the whole so the whole bit of redundancy in our job right now with the amount of computers that we have to bring like a super rack redundancy consoles have mm -hmm. an extra computer in them so if a screen goes down you know it you almost have to buy two of everything it, it raises the cost on everything yep. but like you said in the beginning it saves a lot of work like there i heard about this this is my new ableton thing that i didn't know is that you can like do an intro for a song and they can loop it via switch until you're ready to come in and then you can drop like mm -hmm. drop into the actual track like there's so many options that i think it makes bands better it really does like having ableton running it it's not everyone used to think it was some kind of fucking crutch you know and yep. and it's not like the tool is making music better. It really is. Like people play on fucking time and things happen at the right time, but the redundancy is ridiculous. Like um, I, I know this too, like some kind of MIDI connection when you're booting up two M1s, sometimes MIDI notes will stick and you'll have to reboot. Oh yeah, that's my favorite. Oh, and yeah. mm -hmm. and I, I watch Ryan, our, the band I've been working with, MD, just like, fucking with that on a daily basis because the keys are coming from one laptop. The tracks are coming from the X, the other, but they're running redundantly. So if one takes yeah. a dump, they can keep running the show. It just, the checks and balances of redundant networks and audio is fucking intense. It really is. It is. You basically have to be a networking engineer to do almost all of our jobs at this point. Like I think whether you're have front of house right. or playback or anything like you're, there, yeah, there is no rack that doesn't have a fucking switch in it. Like every, yep. <laughs> every rack uh, that goes out of the shop nowadays has a fucking switch in it. Like whether it's Dante right. or any kind of other networking solutions, it's like, I mean, you have it and you have to use it. We don't hear about shows going down like we used to, you know, we don't. And, yep. and that's a, that's a testament to your job as a play you know, like it's like going to school in 2001. They didn't have the curriculum written back then. No, and the same with and, playback. And we, like they, they never really will at this point. Um, no, you know, it, it's moving too fast. Um, I did. Uh, my friend um, Amanda Davis. I don't know if y'all have talked to her yet, but if you haven't, definitely should. Um, incredible front house engineer. Um, I think we have. She She's just finished. Uh, Monet, yeah, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm she just like uh, wrote a course for Berkeley on, you know, live audio, which like, thank goodness. But um, that's something that 
has evolved to a point where it's still going to keep, you know, pedaling forward pretty quickly. But I, f- I feel like at least now, like we're over the digital hump, we're over the networking hump, like it's in a place where it's going to kind of just be on an easier path, like not quite as aggressive. But everything in terms of playback, I mean, if you wrote a course today, in six months, it would be outdated. So that's why nobody does it. You know, I think at one point I was told when I I did my one little baby semester uh, before I said I, I would like to be paid for and just go do this. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, I did my one semester at MTSU. And I think when I was going through the process of like looking at different schools and just talking to professors, the I won't say answer, but what I was told by a professor in their REM program, which is a really, really great program for music, stands for recording industry music. Um, they have like a whole Pro Tools like production thing, everything. And uh, mm-hmm. they said by the time the curriculum gets finalized and approved, they're five years behind the industry on average. Yeah. So by the time you leave school and it takes you four years, yeah. you're still a year behind if where if you would have just gone and done it. Um, right depending on what you choose to go do and what's right for you and all this uh, insert yeah. every necessary caveat here. Um, like, I think I had a professor tell me that at one point and that's always stuck out to me. I think that's so crazy to think about. Well, it's, I mean, it's difficult, especially um, with academia in general. Um, my partner is a, is a professor and um, just seeing the, the process, like academia is process heavy. Um, it's not quite as intense as like government. I've worked in government too. That shit is slow, slow. It's amazing that anything functions, honestly. Um, but then academia is definitely is right behind it and it's a lot of approvals and everything. And it makes sense, right? Because we're trying to educate people and you want to do it right. But then at the same time, you run the risk of like, if you're trying to be on the, the bleeding edge of technology, um, it's difficult. I know that um, I know that NYU's lab uh, now, like the, I don't know, I don't think it's the same structure of program as when I went there. Um, but I know now it's a lot more like, okay, we're going to give you all the, you know, like electronics, you know, 101, 102, we're going to give you uh, music theory, you know, there'll be a performance component, et cetera, like do some MIDI, A for V, et cetera. But then it's kind of more of like a lab feel where you get to, it's a little bit self-structured, right? So you have to, you have to really want it because you're essentially going to have to find out what you want to learn. Um, but I still think that the best way to, to learn is to just, you know, get out there and do it and challenge yourself. You know, say yes is what I always say to people who ask me. Um, it's always say yes, but don't say yes outside of your means, right? Like, don't sign up to to do something that you know that you're way out of your league. But if it's a couple steps up, you feel like scared. You should feel scared, I think, because that means you're being challenged. You know, like if I'm if I'm a little bit nervous going into something, okay, good. Then I think I'm going to grow. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, so I, that's always my advice to people. Do you still find that you feel like that going into new things? All the time. Yep. Yep. All the time. I get, um, I get nervous before every show still. Like, I mean, I think if you lose that, there's some kind of complacency going on and you kind of need to 
step back and figure out what's going on. But yeah. I, it, challenging yourself at this, we live for that rush. And part of that rush is the anxiety that goes along with it, you know? Yeah. You got to be able to handle anxiety in this business. I, I think, I think when we were talking about universities, the, obviously the ones that want to be good at it are going to bring in adjunct professors that work in the field. And my, I totally statement agree. To the, mm-hmm. my statement to the entire world right now is adjunct professors are just as valuable as someone with an MBA or whatever, the, whatever they have. Like mm-hmm. don't discount the adjunct, adjunct professor position because they're not schooled. That's why we're being brought in. So, Hey, should reflect it. You know, like if, if, if if Robert Scoville comes to talk to your class, I'm sure he's going to get paid the right amount. But like, if someone like you, Sam, or I go to teach a class, we shouldn't be discounted because we don't have that stature. You know what I mean? Like, and and it's so yeah. valuable for the students to hear real stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I I never knew that until I started doing these AES student summits and and talking at colleges and things. The interest that you can spark in those those students that are there is worth yeah just as much as what that professor teaches for that curriculum for that semester like um it's so valuable and dude you went to nyu and harvard holy cow are you still paying your loans or like are you okay now (laughs) (laughs) no that's why i left (laughs) (laughs) hey man i did the same thing like wait forty five thousand dollars a year to learn shit i already know uh no i'm good thanks but um but I, you know, fortunately, I have an education style where I can teach myself. I can sit down mm-hmm. with a book and like, okay, today I'm going to start reading the definitive guide on JavaScript. And I can read that book and through some maybe painful trial and error, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks, I can learn that. I can do that. Um, that doesn't suit everybody. You know, everybody, everybody has a different that. style. I mean, I think once you figure out what works for you, like that's the important thing. Like I'm, I'm fairly similar where I can, uh, I mean, I learned, I started learning systems because I read Bob's book cover to cover and through the process (laughs) of it had a little RTA 420 and a mic stand and a set of KRKs. And I bought a processor off eBay. I, I bought an open architecture symmetrics off eBay uh and that's nice. how i learned how to do my job there you go <laughs> and it's it obviously there was a lot of steps in between there and currently but uh yeah you have like three options it's you know eq delay and physical design and placement and Pretty that much. doesn't ever really change <laughs> so <laughs> no <you> it know. <laughs> doesn't it just yeah. gets bigger and more complicated and so anyways, point being, mm-hmm. if you figure out how you learn, you know, it's, you can, it's crucial. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah. if somebody like, if somebody expected me to watch like 10 hours of videos, for example, and then oh, go do a job, I'd be like, I can't, I can't do that. I can, I can learn some better. things. I can learn a quick thing, right? Like if I'm stuck on something when I'm working on a session or I'm stuck on something like on a gig, I'm like, shit, what is this? And I just need a, a quick fix. Like. Two minutes. Okay, I can handle that. Great. Thank you for that. Glad somebody put that out there. But like, you know, a 20 hour course or something, it's all video based. I am going to tune out. I am not. That's why classroom style doesn't work for me either. I need to be like reading and applying myself. 
or I need to be just doing, which is just basically reading, reading and applying. Yeah. I, um, I am notorious for Googling a question and then using the YouTube skip to that section of the video button. 100%. Where it's like, it's like, here's this 30 second clip that directly pertains to your keyword and your search. And I was like, I'll watch that part. Yeah. Um, and thanks Google for the help because that's usually <laughs> what I need if I'm Googling that. Um, Seriously. But if it's also a, no one it, needs to hear like, Hey guys, subscribe, like smash that subscribe button. Like, okay, cool. You just wasted up, 15 bro. seconds of the two minutes I have to figure this problem out before the show starts. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yup. But that's so cool that you can figure out how you learn. So my question for you is how did you figure out, what you needed to know and how did you figure out what you didn't know? Uh, I feel like I'm doing that on a daily basis. Like if, if I'm not, yeah, if I, if I'm not learning, I, I'm not doing my job, honestly, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, I guess I figured out what I needed to know. How did I figure that out? Um, with, with front of house stuff. So the jump from like local venue to, you know, my first console on tour is pretty big. Um, you know, going from like the mostly I'm talking like, you know, punk rock clubs in Boston and shit like that. Like going from the mostly yeah. like analog Middle cheap East. like consoles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um going from that to, you know, like a Digico, like SD twelve or something. It's like, oh yeah. shit. Really quickly I knew what I didn't know. And I went home and I learned it and figured it out and like really, really like just spent the time outside of it. Like, no, I'm not going to hang out after rehearsal. I'm going to go back and like hit the books, do whatever I need to do to figure it out. Come in early the next day, get a couple hours on the console, go to the shop before the tour even starts, before rehearsal even starts. Just go to the shop anytime you have free time, you know, if you can, if you know some shops. Um, Most people are pretty cool about it um sound girls was instrumental in me learning a lot of stuff because you know before before pandemic you know like they were putting on stuff all the time like they just set up like 12 d lives at rat and gave us basically a whole day's worth of lessons on it that was that was so sick like as a basically beginning like front of house back then that was awesome that was worth its weight in gold so you know, taking advantage of, of resources like that, community resources, networking, 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 not computer networking, people networking. Um, yeah. And just being a good person. Uh, those will all give you access to resources um, so that you can find your knowledge gaps. And then it's on you, right? Like yeah. you can figure out what you don't know, but then it's on you and your motivation, your follow through to to bridge that gap. So did you go to crappy hardcore shows in Boston and Connecticut when you were a kid? Oh, I played them. Yes. (laughs) I never played in hardcore bands, um, but we, we played with them a lot. Yes. Um, Probably my favorite, a ton of them. My, my favorite bands all come from that area in that era. Really? Yeah. I mean, Converge is like my favorite band ever, hands down. Oh yeah. And, uh, hate breed i mean instrumental yep. in in the tough guy hardcore thing yep. um, <laughs> even going back like slap shot and like yep 
I thought that shit was the toughest music I've ever heard in my life. And when you said Boston, I was just like, all I can think is like bands will start playing and like two songs in, there'll just be a fight and the show's over. Yeah. You know, so you get to yeah. mix, mix like two songs and you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Frequently. Um, yeah. I, I ended up more alongside like um, metal bands just because of the genre yeah. that, that my band was. Um, so we played a lot. Um, and then once I started mixing, I got more into like, I get put on the hardcore shows and, and shit like that. Um, but yeah, we, we'd work with the metal bands The metal bands were like awesome. The, like always the yes. nicest people. And everyone's like, oh, they're metal. They must be asshole. No, like that community will basically fight and die for you. If somebody, yeah. if somebody fucks with you at all and you're at a metal show, good luck. I'm trying to think. <laughs> Kill Switch Engage, yeah. Shadows Fall. Yes. Um, Avenge Sevenfold. Avenge Sevenfold. Mm. Dude, there's so many yep. good like metalcore bands. I mean, obviously, the what was it? The Palladium up there always had like the metal fest. Lester Palladium. Yeah, the big, <laughs> the big stone room. Oh man. Yep. See that Many would be show. Another, that would be another show that I go see. I, I worked for um Times of Grace, which was the Kill Switch side project when Jesse came back and then I know ah. the Shadow I know the Shadows Fall dudes because one of them lives in St. Louis now. And and, uh-huh. and there was always this cool metal hardcore crossover. Like every time you went to go see Terror, you'd see a metal band. So um I'm jealous of you. See, I always get jealous of people that lived in New York and, and the East Coast because they got to see all the good hardcore shows. Damn. That I'm might jealous. be the only thing to be jealous of, though. I left for a reason. <laughs> no, I kid. New York has my heart forever. Um, but I, I I, love it here. The weather's nicer. The people are nicer. So I'll, I'll, I'll have a couple. I'll have a question before Sam asks her question. Um What's the next thing that you think foreseen that you're going to challenge yourself by doing? Um, next thing I'm going to challenge myself by doing, uh, let's see. Well, I want to keep expanding, you know, building more complicated, sophisticated rigs for sure. I'm up for any challenge. Anyone out there? Um, I'm up for any challenge. Um, I would like to continue to evolve my networking capacities i think that's the like computer networking i think that's the the next frontier i i already know it like in a pretty sophisticated way but i would like to i would like to know it like as bulletproof as plugging copper into a socket or not um just to make things like lightning fast um hyper optimized traffic you know stuff like that kind of look for look for places where maybe there's room for improvement um come up with some kind of technology you know I'm thinking in that direction. Uh, I also like to continue to challenge myself with um, with front of house stuff. It's just like it, that. That's truly, truly fun for me. Um, I love doing that. Like having control of all those subs. Oh, that's Same. Just the best. <laughs> Same. I make noise <laughs> for everyone. Yes, for everyone. What do you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, when I first started, um, I think kind of, uh, back to what we were talking earlier, like everyone's scared just because you're scared doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Like just do it. I just wish I had started earlier in the live, um, like the live vein of things, 
you know, I stayed, I stayed kind of in studio and, and production stuff like that for a while. What, I mean, which made sense for what I was doing at the time, especially like with my own music and everything, but man, do I wish that I had been out there, you know, when I was like, I, I could have been doing this when I was 22, <laughs> you know, and instead, it, you know, it, it took me a while. So I wish that, um, and I think I was just intimidated, you know, because I felt that like, oh, it's scary. Like, yeah, it's scary. That's why it's fun. <laughs> you can totally handle this. Um, I guess what I wish I knew is like, you're good enough. If you show up and you can do the work and you have a good attitude, you're willing to learn, you're able to learn, you're good enough. You don't need to wait for anybody else to tell you. I really like that. That's fantastic. Yes. We'll hang out. That's, that's more important than knowing any technology. Yeah. I, I need to, I need to hear these Timbaland tracks. Like I've been dying for Missy <laughs> Elliott, like for a while, like those songs are iconic to me. Oh my God. So if, if I'm around, I'm going to text you yeah. or get a hold of you somehow. Enjoy your tour this summer. Yeah. New Orleans in like two weeks or something. I think if you're there, I'll be out till the 12th. So hopefully well, I'll watch the YouTube version in my bunk. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This was great. <laughs>